Hey, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I'm going to be in Mark chapter 2, if you'd like to turn there. It's in the New Testament, second book over. And uh, Mark chapter 2. And uh, today, I'd like to talk about whatever it takes or um, every life on mission. You're to live our life on mission. And uh, you're very blessed to be a part of a missions-minded church and to have a missions-minded pastor. And, and, but it's important that you are on mission as a believer in Christ, we, every one of us, are to be on mission. In the summer, we often talk about going to church camp or going on church mission trips. But actually, if you read the Bible, every day that you wake up, you're to be on a mission trip. Every day, you're to have the opportunity to engage with people. And God has placed you here for a purpose more than just to draw breath and draw salary, God has a purpose uh, for you. As you turn to Mark chapter 2, I would like to just tell you about my family real fast. I have six kids and four grandkids. Six kids, our, our oldest two daughters are married, and each of them have two children. Our, our third son is in college out in California. He's a junior. And then God blesses with a whole second phase of children, if you will. Um, we adopted our youngest three. And, and uh, our very first child we adopted was Libby. She's a sophomore in high school. Now she's from China. We adopted her when she's one, and she's now 15 and has her permit. And uh, it's a dangerous thing. And then we adopted Michael Lynn. And Michael Lynn, we adopted her when she's three, and she's now 13, and she's from Ethiopia. And <clears throat> she's a pistol. If you ever... Um, you ever, I and mean, some of the kids will not remember this show, but there's a show called Sanford and Son. You remember that show? Well, we adopted Aunt Esther, all right? <clears throat> she, Aunt Esther, she'd come in and just tell you exactly the what for. When we moved to Atlanta, she went to our neighbor's house and, and put her hand on her hip, because that's where she likes it, and said, uh, um, you people have issues. And... Uh, <laughs> And they're like, do what? She says, your house is a mess. You have issues. And so we had to sit her down real fast and say, look, sweetheart, we're trying to make friends here, and you're not helping, okay? <clears throat> then we adopted J.M. Yeah, he goes, John Michael, but he goes by J.M. because he thinks the girls like it. He's from Philippines. And we adopted J.M. when he was 12, and he's now 18. And uh, it's real funny. When people see our family walk into a restaurant, they never really know what to do with us. You know, we have... Six kids from four different countries, and they're looking at us like, how did that happen, you know? Or, or in the South, they'll typically say things like, well, bless your heart. I know what that means. That means better you than me. That's what that means. But I tell folks, look, uh, we have six kids from four different countries. I'm just very competitive. No, no, what I mean is, I mean, think about it. Six kids, four different countries. When we watch the Olympics, we win. All right. I'll, I'll never forget when we went over to the Philippines to get JM. Um, it was interesting because JM was the first child we adopted that actually he spoke English. They taught him English, and although it was broken and some things were he, hard for him to understand the context, but he knew broken English. And so um, the very first night, they told us to be very careful with him because he's not used to the, some of the same luxuries that you're used to and I went luxuries uh, what do you what do you mean and he said well he's not used to hot water 
And then uh, they said, we, they, had, uh, uh, they have hot water in, in Manila, but not in the orphanage. And so he is not used to hot water. He said, just when you get to the hotel, just make sure um, you help him understand that and so he doesn't harm himself. And so we go back to the hotel. You can imagine the first night with your new family, you're 12. They found Jam on the streets when he was five. And uh, he'd been an orphanist from 5 to 12. And so, first night in a hotel. He'd never been in a hotel with his family. And I'm letting him bounce on the bed and the whole thing. And it come time for um, shower time. And I said, hey, Jay, come here. I want to show you something. And, and uh, it's time to take a shower. And I, but, but I want to show you something. I turned on the water lukewarm. And then I took his hand. I said, let me have your hand, buddy. I took his hand and I said, feel this. And it was just lukewarm water. And then I just gradually gradually turned the water warmer and warmer and warmer until he began to feel hot water for the very first time. And he said, that is wonderful. And I said, it is wonderful. You're going to love it. I said, now, now here, I'm going to go in there. And you, you take off your clothes and jump in the shower. And he said, shower? What's a shower? And I wasn't thinking. I mean, again, they didn't have hot water. They didn't have a shower. And so, have you ever tried to explain a shower to somebody? It's like water from heaven. You know, you're going to love it. Trust me. Some things you just forget because they're not used to, uh, you just forget the context. It's like the first time we went out to eat. The first time we went out to eat, I ordered for him. I said, here, buddy, I'll just order for you. Just bring him uh, some chicken fingers. <laughs> He's like, no! I no, no, I not want chicken fingers. I said, no, son, they're not chicken fingers. That's just what they call them. He said, well, why do they call them that? And I said, I don't really know. Just dip them in barbecue sauce and it'll be fine, all right? You can only imagine the first time we had buffalo wings. You know, I mean, <clears throat> it's just hard. I mean, some things are just hard to communicate. But I'll never forget, I'll never forget the moment he came out of the shower 45 minutes later, smelling really good and shriveled up, but so excited because of hot water. And I, I thought to myself, how many 12-year-olds get excited about hot water? I mean, they just, they just don't. But he was so excited. And it's because well, we're, we're spoiled rotten. I mean, we really are spoiled when it comes to certain things sir in the check-in shirt right there uh, what's your first name ryan, ryan? <clears throat> i picked you because you look like the cleanest one in that section all right <laughs> ryan tell me uh um I'm just, I'm just curious you had a shower in the last two or three days all right good deal good deal good deal we're, we're all excited about that all right ryan tell me now just be straight up honest with me all right I'm not setting you up or anything i just need you to be honest i know it's hard but try <clears throat> when you had the shower you had a shower, did you go like, yes, hot water? Did you do that? I did not. You did not. You see, folks, Ryan, he's what's wrong with America, all right? <laughs> I mean, how ridiculous not to be appreciative of something like hot water. Well, the, Ryan, I'm, I'm kidding, sort of. But the, 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 thing, the thing is, none of, most of us, we don't do that. We, don't, we, don't, we take things for granted. It's like today for lunch, you're not really concerned if, if you're going to have lunch. It's just what you're going to have. 
And we, we just take things for granted. We think it's like it is here everywhere. We know it's really not, it's not, but we act as if it is. And the same thing is true when it comes to churches. Um, at the North American Mission Board, what we do is we come along and partner with churches like Graceland and, and to help plant churches. And people often say, well, is there really a need for churches? There really is. We plant 1,200 churches. Our goal is to plant 1,200 churches every year. That, the math is real simple. It's about 100 a month. Our goal is to plant 20 to 25 churches every week on average. So every time you come in this place to worship, somewhere in North America, you're part of a family of churches that's helping plant 20 to 25 churches somewhere from, from Maine to New Mexico, California to Florida. There are 20 to 25 churches being planted. You say, well, is there really a need for that? Let me, let me show you something. Did you know in Mississippi, it's the most churched state in Mississippi. There is one a church for every 1,392 people. Now, missiologists tell us that you need one church for every at least 2,000 people. And so they have quite a few churches in Mississippi. Then uh, you say, well, what's it like in Indiana? I knew you'd ask. And there is one for every 1,400 14,700. So still a need. There's 6 million people in Indiana, and there's still a need for many more churches. Again, missiologists say you need one for every roughly two to 3,000 people. Okay? But let me show you something. Say like in New York, it's one for every 58,000. In, say, New Jersey, it's one for every 64,000. And in Canada, it's one for every 103,000 people. Did you know there's places in Canada that you can drive for three hours and not drive by another evangelical church? And sometimes we just take it for granted because we live in an area where we see, well, there's just everybody. It's, always, it's like it is here everywhere. It's just not that way. So I say all that to just say thank you for having a heart for reaching this area, but also having a heart for reaching North America and having a heart to reach the world. It's not like it is here everywhere else. And there's a tremendous need uh, for church. I want to read Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And hope, hopefully you probably heard this story before, uh, but let's read through it. And there's some things I want us to apply to where we are. Let's read this together. Ready? Here we go. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such a large number that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. They're jam-packed. Overflow is overflowing. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now remember that part, when he saw their faith. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. I always get a kick out of this verse when I read this verse. Some teachers of the law were sitting there. Some scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves. As Jesus was speaking, some people were thinking to themselves. I've had those people in every church I've ever pastored, all right? They're, they're, they're thinking to themselves. You know, I've had some people that thought criticism was a spiritual gift. They really did. And that's what these people are. They're thinking to themselves. What are they thinking? Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, 
Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, now I'm so glad I don't have the ability to know what you're thinking. All right? Jesus did, and he called them out on it. I don't want to know what you're thinking. Like, when will he be done? Or, boy, I wish, can't wait till next week and Brother Ray's back. I just don't want to hear that. I don't want to see that right now. Why are you thinking these things, he says, which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Hey, will you say that last phrase with me again? We have never seen anything like this. All right, come on, kids, let's help me out. Okay, I say kids, teenagers, young adults. You ready? Here we go. We have never seen that's right. They left there saying, we've never seen anything like this before. We've never seen anything like this before. Well, let's rewind and look at this story, all right? I want you to notice as Jesus told them, he said, look, I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. And what he was trying to tell them is what's most important here is I can forgive sins. I'm going to heal the guy physically, but look, that's temporary. I'm going to heal him physically, but what's most important is that I can forgive his sins and have everlasting life. That lasts forever. And so he's helping them uh, discern between the two. But I want us to go back today and look at some people that get overlooked in this story. Because all of this happened because some friends cared enough about a friend to get him to Jesus. So, if you would, let's rewind the story and go back to the very beginning. What did Mark tell us? He said, Jesus was in the house. And Jesus was preaching the word to them. And, you know, one thing I like about Mark, the gospel of Mark is my favorite gospel, simply because I am absolutely convinced that Mark has an attention disorder. All right? I really believe that you read uh, five or six verses or maybe even eight or nine verses, then boom, he switches the subject. I mean, completely switches the subject. He just does not stay focused on one thing. And Mark, uh, as opposed to the other Gospels, Mark doesn't do details. All right? He flies at 30,000 feet. Now, if you want details you of any of the different parts of these stories, you've got to look at John or Matthew or Luke, but not Mark. He flies at 30,000 feet. Now, I like that because I'm, I'm somewhat like that. My wife gets so frustrated with me. She'll say, um, hey, hey, Kevin, did so-and-so have their baby? I said, they did. And she said, was well, a boy or a girl? And I was like, um, it was a baby. <laughs> I must have said, what's his name? I, it was a baby, okay? It was a baby. Main point, baby. I don't know all the details. That's how Mark is. Now, it's pretty funny if you read this story because he flies through this story and, and, and purposely leaves out a lot of the details that obviously happened. I'm not adding anything to Scripture here today. It obviously happened. Mark just didn't go into detail about it, but some of the other writers do. So in this story, Jesus is in the house. The place is jam-packed. He couldn't get anybody else in there. Overflow is overflowing. But meanwhile, on the other side of town, 
someone, we know at least one of these four guys, at least one had the idea of, hey, look, I hear Jesus is in town, and I've heard what Jesus has done in other cities. I've, I've heard that he's healed people before, and look, I'm convinced if we get our friend, and I'm sure that this friend called him by name. Mark doesn't because he doesn't do details. Called him by name and said, look, I can bet you if we get our friend to Jesus, Jesus can change his life. Jesus could heal him. You guys in? I can't do it by myself. I'm going to have to carry him there. You in? You in? Okay, we're in. They got at least four of these guys together. They came up with a time to meet and go and pick him up because that's where the enters the story says he's carried by four men. That's it. That's all Mark says about him. They're just here comes a paralytic carried by four men. But somehow that had to happen. It just didn't poof happen out of the air. These, somebody had the idea. And what I love about this story is you got a guy, at least one, who was willing to be inconvenienced to get his friend to Jesus. Now watch this. They meet, they go by, they pick him up, and they carry him. You can only imagine the conversation as they carry him to where Jesus is. They get to where Jesus is, and what happens? Mark says they get there, and the place is packed, and there's no room. Now, here's again where I think it's kind of funny. If you go home and read it, it's just funny because Mark acts like this is something that happens every Sunday. They get there. There's no room. So they put him up on the roof, tear a hole in the roof, lower him to Jesus, and Jesus heals him. I mean, Mark acts like this happens every Sunday. It's song, song, offering special music, tear hole in roof. No, 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 no. No, it's just, it's just a big deal. And how did that happen? Mark, tell us more. He doesn't, but obviously something happened. They get there, and you can only imagine. They get there, they see it's packed, and they had to have a conversation. They had a little holy huddle there and said, all right, fellas, what are we going to do? The place is packed. I looked in there. I know those people. They're not giving up their seats, all right? What do you think? Psychologists tell us that one out of every four people tend to be negative, okay? Now, don't point. Don't point. No, all right, don't point. But one out of every four tend to be negative. So there's a good chance that one of these four men was negative kind of like an eeyore type you know what i mean it's a bad day or you know all right it's it's not going well you can only imagine him talking a little eeyore it's like i knew this was a bad idea we should have come to the second service i mean you can you can only imagine some of the negativity he was saying we don't know all that happened in that conversation, but what we do know is that at least one guy, at least one in that four says, hey, fellas, hang on. I got an idea. Now, you're going to think I'm crazy, but here's what we're going to do. What we're going to do is we're going to take him and we're going to put him on the roof. I can't help but think that the paralytic at that moment propped himself up and says, Dude, what? <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Hey, look, don't settle. It's going to be okay. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you up on the roof, and then we're going to kind of guess where we think Jesus is. 
And then we're going to dig a hole, a big hole, in the roof, and we're going to lower you down to Jesus. I guarantee you there's one of those four guys probably said, but we've never done it that way here before. I had, a, I had a guy at my church I pastored once, and if anything happened in the service, he'd take the bulletin out and wave it at me. And it's not in the bulletin. It's not in the bulletin. It can't happen. It's not in the bulletin. I love it when God does things that aren't in the bulletin. You know what I mean? Now, here's what, here's what happened. They put him up on the roof. They start digging a hole. Again, um... Mark, Mark acts like um, this happens every day, not the case. And uh, can you only imagine next Sunday if uh, Brother Ray is preaching, right in the middle of his sermon, all of a sudden some dust begins to fall, and some more dust begins to fall. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of his sermon, a hand comes through that roof. Now, can you imagine... What would happen in here? I don't care how persuasive and a good communicator he is. If a hand comes through that roof, I'm watching it. All right? <laughs> and then a hand pulls back some tiles. Another hand pulls back some tiles. Can you imagine some of the discussions going on? The church, I mean, there's somebody here on the finance team. I think, my word, you know, we just had that repaired. <laughs> how much is that going to cost? There's somebody else probably, you know, say, hey, it must be the students. It's always the students that tear up the building. <laughs> but can you imagine? They began, and all of a sudden, they lower him down. And now, you remember what Jesus said? Mark recorded it. Jesus, sing whose faith? Jesus, it's not the paralytic. Jesus, sing their faith. Decided to heal him. Jesus, seeing their faith, healed him. He heals him. And everything in that person's life changed. I believe it's symbolic of what happens to us when we come to know Christ. And he's forgiven us and heals us spiritually. And what I love about this story is you got some guys that love their friend enough to get him to Jesus. Hey, did you catch these guys? Uh, did you catch these guys' name? Ryan, did you catch his name? Didn't catch his name. Name's not in there. They're just four men. It's kind of like the widow's might. We don't have, shouldn't have a name. It just goes by the widow's might. Uh, their name's not in there. I'm glad it's not. We don't know their names, but we know the passion of their heart and the passion of their heart is whatever it takes i love these guys hey if you're a businessman today you want these four guys working for you if you're a coach you want these four guys on your team why because they were determined we're going to do whatever it takes to get it done we're going to get him to Je We came here to get him to Jesus, and we're going to get him to Jesus. There's no more room in there. It doesn't matter. We're going to figure out a new way. We're going to do something outside of the lines, and we're going to get our friend to Jesus. They were determined to get their friend to Jesus. You know, we live in a day where people are simply not that excited about sharing their faith. 
or helping people come to know Christ. They went to a lot of trouble, a lot of inconvenience to do what? To get him to Jesus because they were convinced he could change their life. Look, my point today is help you see in this story how every one of us are to be on mission. God placed you where he's placed you for a purpose, to do more than draw a breath and draw a salary. He's placed you in the neighborhood that you're in, the school that you're in, the, the sphere of influence that you're in, that you can make an impact on the people around you. There may be somebody in your sphere of influence that you're the only one that can carry the gospel to them. Jesus saw their faith and he healed them. And then notice, it, it never fails typically. When God does something incredible, there's some people being upset about it. That's when these guys get ticked off. They start thinking to themselves, who's this guy I think he is? My word, a guy was just healed. He's healed. A paralytic has just been healed. And the first thing they think of is, hey, he didn't have the right to do that. Hey, who said he could do that? We didn't vote on that. And Jesus says, hey, look, I know what you're thinking. And he basically says, takes him to the woodshed here and says, look, what you need to know is I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. They said, only God can do that. And he says, right. Exactly right. You're starting to catch on. You're slow, but you're starting to catch on. <laughs> Man, I love how Jesus says uh, to the guy, he says, hey, uh, hey, Philip, hey, buddy, uh, take your mat. You go on home. Again, I think this is funny about Mark. That's it. <laughs> I mean, end of story. Mark, tell me more. You know what I mean? Just going home. Can you imagine? The guy gets up, rolls his mat under his arm, just walks home. You think he just walked into the house and said, hey, what's for dinner? No. The guy was carried out of there by four friends, not walking. He's a paralytic. Now he's walking home. Can you imagine the homecoming? Can you imagine how he's trying to explain getting there? And they're like, what happened? What, what happened? Can you imagine him trying to describe it? I, I can only imagine it's much like the, the song about the blind man, where the blind man says, look, I don't understand it. All I know is I was once was blind, but now I see. And the only difference is that Jesus made the difference. I can't help but think the only, only explanation he could give is, look, you wouldn't understand it. He may not go on all the details saying, these four nutcase friends of mine put me on a roof. And they tore a hole and they lowered me down. But no, I'm sure he just says, you know what? Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Look, we have got to be convinced. All those songs we just sang, what a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The Wondrous Cross. They're great songs. But so often, it's just warm fuzzies. It gives us warm fuzzies, and we feel snuggly to Jesus. And we, get, we just want to snuggle. And then we go home, and it makes no impact on what we do when we leave here. But Scripture is very clear. We're all to be on mission. It's not just missionaries in some other country. It's not just people planting churches in some other city. You are to be on mission. Man, when is the last time 
you had a gospel conversation with the people that you love? When's the last time you had a gospel conversation with, with someone you just met? When's the last time that you even tried? I'm not trying to make you feel bad here. I'm just trying to encourage you to actually do it. God placed you here for a purpose, to be on mission. You don't have to wait for a group to go to another country. You don't have to wait for a group to go to another state. You can go every day. You're to be on mission having gospel conversations. Hey, you may not realize this uh, because uh, this church is affiliated with, with uh, the Southern Baptist Convention and North American Mission Board. You own the majority of the Baptist churches in Cuba. Did you know that? Hundreds of them. You do. And you know why I know that? Because I was just there. And um, at the North American Mission Board, we hold the deeds to those churches in our vault. Years and years ago, there was a lady by the name of Annie Armstrong that would, went around and, and was helping plant these churches. And they were so afraid the government would take away the deeds to these churches that the pastor said, hey, you please keep these for us, and so uh, we have done that. They're in the safe, and and the government never bothered them because uh, we had those deeds. There's actually a seminary that trains pastors in Cuba that you own. You own it. I know that because the deed is in our vault. It was interesting. I go there just to assure those pastors that any time uh, you want these deeds back, you can have them. But they said, no, no, no. You keep them. They're safe there. And they know that their, their property is safe. And the last time I was there was when Castro was still living. And it was interesting. I, I told them, tell me what's going on here. Because you may not realize this, but there is a church planting movement that's happening in Cuba. A church planting movement. I mean, it, it, hundreds and hundreds of churches being planted. It's just incredible. So I told the pastors, I said, tell me, tell me explain to me, how that, how's that happening? He said, well... What happened is Castro came out and had an edict of saying, no more churches, no more churches. That's the best Castro I can do. No more churches. He couldn't build onto a church. He couldn't build a bathroom on a church. Not one, he couldn't build anything onto the building. But he said, you can meet in your homes. And their homes were, were not that large, but they would try to stuff just tons of people in these homes. His thought was, I'll spread these people out, and that'll do away with them. <clears throat> that didn't happen. They began to meet in their homes. And he, he got so infuriated because of how many they were cramming in their house. He says, all right, enough of that. 50. When you get to 50, you have to go to another house and start another one. And they're like, you can only have 50? Absolutely, 50. 50 is the max, and you have to start another one. Well, some will say, that's the government trying to control. Well, they were, but he was trying to spread them out. He got so frustrated because that, when he did that, they began to multiply even faster. So he came out with another edict and said, all right, no more than 25. When you get to 25, you have to go to another house. Again, I'll spread them out even more. You know what happened? They began to multiply even faster. It was just incredible. This pastor with tears in his eyes was saying, God has started a church planting movement. And he used a communist leader to do it. I told him, I said, you know, if God ever allows me to pastor again, at the time, I said, uh, I'm going to get Castro to be my education minister. Because <laughs> it'd take a communist leader to get some Sunday school classes to multiply. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that which they would not have done on their own, God used the ugly there to turn it for good. But God has called us 
to be faithful and obedient. I told you a story about J.M. One last little story. Right as, uh, that, after you took that bath and huh, came, in, came time for bedtime, and I said, all right, J.M., time to go to bed, buddy. And, and you know, all right, I was going to give him a big hug, and, and, uh, which he did. He's still a real tight hugger. He hugs you really tight. But he did something really strange. He pushed on my cheeks like this, just pushed really hard. And, um, and I was like, uh, not knowing where it was coming from. He didn't tell me anything. He just took his fingers and just began to push. It was really awkward. And I began to think, you know, I should have listened more during the orientation. I'm not getting this. <laughs> and I said, what's up, buddy? And, and, and I could tell he's wanting me to look right in his eyes. And he said uh, something I'll never forget. He said, I'll be a good son for you. And I said, well, well, good. I'm going to be a good dad for you. Now you go into bed. And I was like, oh, when I went to bed, I was like, oh, my gosh. That was such a sweet thing for him to say. Well, the next morning, four in the morning, his face is right here. <laughs> good morning, Dad. Like, Whoa. In case you did not know, bad breath is universal. All right? All right. <laughs> I was like, what's up, buddy? And he said, I'll be a good son for you today. And I said, well, well, great. Now, why don't you go on back to bed, all right? <laughs> now, what's crazy is like, you say four in the morning. Listen, kids at the orphanage, you get up at four. He'd work from four to five doing chores. They have breakfast from five to 5.30 and go to school at six. I mean, it's incredible. Ron, what time did you get up, man? I didn't go to bed. Yeah, that's right. All right. So what's wrong with America? Sitting right there, all right? <laughs> And you may say, my word, that's pretty, that's pretty disciplined. You're exactly right. And if you're considering adopting, I just want you to know, they, all, the kids, all three of our kids that we adopted came very disciplined. But do not let that throw you off or, or, or scare you, all right? Just, it doesn't take but just a few months around your biological children. They become just as lazy as they are. It's not a problem. <laughs> they blend. They blend. It really happens. It does. But that night, same thing. I'll be a good son for you. Next morning, I'll be a good son for you. And finally, I just set, set him down and say, look, and, look, Jamie, I want you to understand something. I'm glad you want to be a good son for me. But I understood he was saying that to help me understand that he was going to earn the right to be in our family long term. And I had to help him see that you are part of our forever family. Forever family. We want you to be a good, good boy, but, but, but you're a part of our family whether you're a good boy or not. It's because God placed you in our family. What I want you to see today, it's about obedience. We are saved by the grace of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We know that. God has a purpose for you, and it's to be obedient. I couldn't help but think that night when I went to bed, what would it be like if every believer went to bed every night saying that to our Heavenly Father, I will be a good son. I will be a good daughter for you. I will be faithful to you. I'll be obedient to you. We're all to be on mission every day. I want us to bow our heads. So we bow our heads. We're going to have a time of invitation where we want to invite you to make a commitment, first of all, to Christ. God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins. 
that we might have eternal life. As Jesus told those guys, look, I have the authority on earth to forgive sins, to be forgiven.